You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. So let me start by asking you a question, and I, I think I did this for the past two years. It's kind of the same question. Uh, who likes making New Year's resolutions? Anyone here? Chris, no? <laughs> no. <laughs> The sad reality is that most of us make New Year's resolutions, most of us make promises that we do not keep. And we've been doing it for years. I know I have been doing this for years. And by the way, they're not even New Year's resolutions, not for a lot of people anyways. Uh, Let's be honest, Uh, they're more like emotional suggestions, aren't they? You feel like a strong impulse emotional impulse, and then the next second it becomes a New Year's resolution. Hey, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to the gym, and I'm going to work out three times a week. Yeah, just give yourself a few days, right? (laughs) You know what the darkest day of the year is? People say today. (laughs) Okay. Um, January 3rd. That's the day we're all like, ah, never mind, I'm just teasing, forget it, those promises, nah. (laughs) So just give yourself a few days. Listen, I got no beef with making New Year's resolutions. Uh, If we can somehow turn these emotional suggestions into serious, heart-driven promises, then we're talking. Or maybe even better, what if our New Year's resolutions are actually Holy Spirit convictions? Mm. Holy Spirit convictions that have biblical support. And then how about inviting God into it so that it doesn't just become, you know, just another year where we make some emotional suggestions and then three days later we drop them. How about we turn them into, you know, these convictions and and then we bring them to the Lord, uh, pressing into God's presence with them, not just one time a year, you know, but consistently and frequently and fervently throughout the new year, inviting God to accomplish these things in us because it's not us doing it, it's Him through us, right? So what we're going to do this morning is, is this. I'm going to read one main verse, um, which is Haggai 1.5. And just to give you a bit of a context, uh, what we have here is a situation when the people of God had become careless and sloppy and casual with their walk with God, in their relationship with God. That never happens to us, right? Yes, exactly. And what happened is the Lord rebuked them through the prophet Haggai, and and one of the things that he said is this, and we have in Haggai 1.5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Now, God urged his people to reflect on some of the things happening in their life and to evaluate their carelessness and and their sloppiness and their casual relationship with with him. So, So let me ask, was 2023 a sloppy and casual year for you in terms of walking with God in terms of uh, your relationship with God? And to be honest with you, even those that are most faithful to God occasionally need to pause and think about where they're going, about their direction. Believe that it's so easy. It's so easy in our day and age to, you know, to go from one busy week to another, especially if you have little kids and 
a job and, and there's so many things that, that we're doing. It's so hard to, to stop and think and ponder and meditate and, 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 and pray. I feel like 2023 was kind of like that for me. A lot of doing, but not much pausing and thinking. Now, I love the beginning of the new year because I believe it is an ideal time to stop, to look up, focus on Christ, and, and get our bearings. It is an ideal time to pause and assess our hearts and, and assess our direction. It is a great time for us to consider our ways. Consider our ways. So how about we do it together for the next few minutes? And, and to that end, here are five questions. I want to ask us five questions. Here are five questions to ask prayerfully in the presence of God. We do it together. And then really take the time to focus on Christ. Take the time to, to think, ponder, assess, and then make some good Christ-centered, some good God-glorifying resolutions. You guys okay with that? Well, even if you're not, we're still going to proceed. <laughs> and the first question is this. What's one thing that you can do this year to increase your enjoyment of God? What's one thing that you can do this year to increase your treasuring of God? We can say it that way as well. I believe this with all my heart that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him more than anything in the world. I really believe that with all my heart. If anyone asks you, hey, what's, what's the purpose of life? What, this is it. It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him more than anything in the world. And, and the way we like to say it here at Summit, and it's actually our first value, it is Jesus, our ultimate treasure. And so again, let me ask the question, what's the one thing that you can do in 2024 to increase your enjoyment, your treasuring of God? I'm just wondering how many of us try to be good, even, even, you know, even thinking about, you know, without even thinking about enjoying God or treasuring God or loving God. Savoring him, loving him. Maybe 2023 was, was exactly this for us. We're, we're just doing life. We're fighting the battle of life at the level of deeds and works, and that's it. I'm not supposed to do this. Well, I'm supposed, I'll do a little bit of this, and I won't do as much. You know, it's always deeds and works, and we're fighting on a front that we can never succeed in. The fight is here, deep here in the heart. That's where it starts. What do you love? What do you cherish? What are you satisfied by? What do you treasure? Are we fighting that battle? That's the battle that gives life to all that's good and kills all that's evil and all that's bad. Because as we focus on loving and treasuring Jesus, he makes sure that we grow in love and in peace and in joy, humility, and so on and so forth. Did you know that the Bible is about loving God, treasuring God, enjoying God from cover to cover? The way the Bible says it many times is knowing God, knowing God. Let me just read to you what Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3.10. And the Word of God says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings. If we go from all the way from the beginning... The beginning of the Bible in Genesis, and we read from, you know, about Adam, Adam and Eve. But just imagine being Adam, looking at the one that had just created you, saying, I made you to know me and to be in relationship with me. Well, what would go through your mind? 
You're my creator, and I can walk with you right now. I can, I can, I can be intimate with you right now. And then God creates Eve, and, and, then, and then the two of them are walking in the garden with God. Imagine the intimacy. God had created the garden for them to enjoy. God was there with them. Are you jealous when you hear something like that? Do we read that and are we like, I wish I would have that in my life, that intimacy with God? And then you read about David. And his language seems like that of an addict at times. Some of us know what I'm talking about because we may, we am, we may have had friends or, or have family members who are addicts. They can't think straight. They, their judgment, their mind is clouded, darkened by this obsession to have this one thing. They're willing to lose their family for, for this drug, for this high. That's the language that I see in David, this profound desire, this longing, this obsession. When he says in Psalm 63, 1, he says, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. He says, I know, I know. I'm thirsty to death. I know I'm dehydrated. I'm about to pass out, but, but I just want you. Just like the profound obsession and desire of an addict who wants drugs, who it's that same language that we see in David. Is that us? And you get to the New Testament and you have Apostle Paul saying, look, for me to live is Christ and to die would be amazing because then I get to see Jesus face to face. It's this longing, this yearning, this desire for God, for a relationship with your creator, your, your savior. And for some reason, the reality is that in church, we've turned this into something else a lot of times. And we're not producing lovers and followers of Jesus. We're producing lovers of exegesis and hermeneutics. And by the way, I mean, we're all about that too, because those are the, some of the ways that we get to know God, right? But if that becomes it, then you're in trouble. Paul said in Philippians 3.8, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. We have people that would fight for different causes all the time. And that's a good thing. But at the end of the day, Jesus says there's only one thing that is necessary. There's only one main thing, one best thing. And the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And my concern is that this is the one thing that's missing in our life. The sobering thing is that in Matthew 7, where it talks about seeing Jesus for the first time face to face, some will say, didn't I do this for you, Jesus? Didn't I die for this cause and, and did a bunch of stuff for you. And, and Jesus' response would be, the Bible says, depart from me, for I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. Who are you again? Sobering reality, isn't it? So the question again is, what's one thing that you can do this year in 2024 that would increase your enjoyment of God, your treasuring of God? Now listen to what I'm about to say, please, because I don't want us to look at it from like a religious sort of a point of view. No, that's not what we're about. Our enjoyment of God comes primarily through the means of grace that he has given us. 
We read this over and over again in the word that God blesses us most directly, most consistently through the means of his word. It's what we're doing right now. It's meeting Jesus daily. So not just Sunday, but meeting Jesus daily between the pages of his word. And then another way that God blesses us directly and consistently is through prayer. Crying out our failures as a disciple and not only that, but celebrating with him our victories as well. This creates such an intimacy and dependency on him. Another way to increase our treasuring, our enjoyment of him would be repenting well. The list goes on and on, but chose just a few to, to, to bring to our attention. So yeah, repenting well. Don't be so stubborn that you need days and weeks and months to confess your sin in prayer after you've messed up. We do that a lot of times. That will only lead us to a sloppy and casual relationship with God. And many Christians do that. It takes some months to confess a sin. It's like, nah, I don't have time for that. Do it right away. As soon as you realize you've messed up, get on your knees and open up to God in prayer and confess because he's faithful and just to forgive all of our unrighteousness. Zoe and I just reminded us of that beautiful promise. This will only increase our treasuring of him, our enjoying of him, our knowing of him, our loving him more. Also, don't take your sweet time to apologize and confess your sin to your brother and sister. Do it right away, and you will experience a closeness not only with your brother and sister, but with God ultimately. So again, what's one thing that you can do in the new year? You can increase this enjoyment of God, that you can increase this treasuring of God. The second question that I want us to, all of us to ask ourselves prayerfully is this. What's the single biggest time waster in your life? And how can you redeem the time? Or what's the biggest, the single biggest distraction in your life and how can you redeem that time? Oh, we all have these. <laughs> Have you assessed 2023 for these time wasters and distractions? Is it social media for you? Is it just your phone in general? Video games, sports, hobbies, the list goes on and on. If we learn anything by living life on planet Earth in the last few years is that it's so easy for, for any of these things to take too much of our heart and time. And that's the problem with these distractions and time wasters. Since the fall of men, people have had trouble staying focused. It's not just a modern problem, an issue. No. This has been for as long as, you know, man has been alive. It's not just us, but we live today. And we got to realize this. In a, in a day and age of unprecedented distraction, we do. I'm sure you read the stats, but lots of experts are talking about the negative effects this is having on us. Many of us feel it. It's the buzzing brain or the foggy brain. Our attention span is withering away. The diminishing tolerance for reading, especially reading books. No one reads books anymore. We don't have time for that. We can't even sit through a 20-minute sermon at church because we constantly need to, to be super entertained. That's none of us here, obviously, just for everyone else. And what's happening is that we're becoming conditioned to distraction. We have been for years. 
And it's harming our ability to listen, to think, to ponder, to just pause and pray and meditate on God's word. The reality is that our attention, our focus often runs to what's important to us. And it's very telling. It runs to something that we love. So distraction can reveal what we love, what we cherish, what we want. This happened to Jesus' friend, Martha. You remember the story? And if you don't, that's fine. I'll summarize it for us. So Martha was busy in the kitchen, busy in the kitchen while Jesus taught in her home. And when Martha complained that her sister Mary wasn't helping because she was sitting at just listening to Jesus and savoring everything that Jesus was saying, Jesus replied, and we see this in Luke 10, 41 and 42. Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, why are you anxious and troubled about many things? But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, Martha was distracted from Jesus. Why? Because she wanted to serve her guests, you know? Why? Because she was anxious. Anxious about what? Well, anxious about feeding everyone. And in all likelihood, anxious about what everyone would think of her and her household if she did not do, do it well, right? But Martha didn't recognize her distraction until Jesus helped her see her heart. She thought she was doing the right thing by serving everyone. And a lot of times we do that. We, we think we're doing the right thing, but we're not. But Jesus pointed out to Martha that her values were, were, were dis, dis, disordered. They were her loves. The loves in her heart were dis, um, disordered. She had shifted her attention and her focus from something of greater importance, which was God, to something of lesser, much lesser importance. And that's exactly what we do as well. When we're distracted, when we're, you know, when we consume time and energy into these time wasters. So our fundamental and most dangerous problem in distraction is in being distracted from God. They take us away from God. They take us away from our, our intimacy with the Lord and growing and knowing the Lord. So the first thing that we can do in 2024, all of us, to help us with these time wasters or distractions is to first ask ourselves, what is? What are some of the distractions in our life? What's the real distraction and time waster in my life? In other words, what we're asking is, what does our heart desire? What does my heart love? And we want to do that prayerfully because we want to pinpoint the problem because just like Martha, we can, we can be short-sighted many times. I love what David says in Psalm 27, 4. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Man, the question we need to ask ourselves is this, are we choosing the one thing that David was choosing? Or are we choosing something much less valuable and insignificant? So that's, that's the first thing, identifying the distraction and the time waster in our life. Now, for some of us, we know exactly what our distractions and time wasters are, right? I know them pretty well. So what we need to do is just put down the phone or stop playing the video game, whatever that time waster is. So it's pretty simple. At least it seems that it's pretty simple. But it's not that easy, is it? Because you just love that distraction. You love it. It gives you so much more than what not doing it gives you. Now, here's the truth that we need to hear. 
Expecting to fight distraction daily is a necessary mindset if, we, if, if, if the fight is to be won in 2024. We just got to know that. So we need to fight, and that needs to be our mindset daily. Otherwise, we're not going to win. And there are many different ways to fight against these time wasters, against these distractions that, that we love. But one way, which is a God-honoring and biblical way, is this. We prayerfully aim to defeat distraction and time wasters through the slow, steady fight of building new habits, godly habits. You can't just stop and not, you know, not play the video games anymore or scrolling. You got to replace it with something else. You got to replace it with a new habit. And that's pretty much what I'm saying. Building the habit of, and I'll give you one example, putting your phone away one hour before you go to sleep. That's what Emma and I are trying to do. Been doing it this year. To actually have a face-to-face conversation with your wife, your husband. So no screens for one hour before you go to bed. And instead, connect to your wife, connect to your husband, connect to God through the reading of, of his word, through prayer. That's how you redeem at least one hour of your day. Again, the list goes on and on of all these great habits that we can develop, that we can create. But here's a start. This is so encouraging, but Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4.19, and I want us to really hear this, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We're not alone. And I know that maybe for most of us, we've tried this before. We've tried to, I don't know, to get away from distractions, to, to, to get away from time wasters. And we're just, man, I'm, not, I'm just not succeeding. I just I, I get back into it. Just give me a few weeks. But I just want to remind us that we're not alone. We're not doing this on our own strength. God will supply, just like we read in this verse, every need according to his riches. And he is rich. He's got everything at his disposal. Amen? But we're called to a fight. We are called to a fight. We have a big responsibility, just as Apostle Paul tells us, tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of the faith. So, getting back to the question, what's the single biggest time waster in your life and how can you redeem the time? I challenge you to humbly approach the throne of grace and mercy often this year and ask God to make you aware, to show you, to pinpoint the direction of your life. And he will believe me. And as he, as he does, continue to faithfully pray this prayer. Whatever it takes, Lord, increase my resolve to pursue only what you call me to do by building good, honoring habits And deliver me from the fruitless and useless distractions that are in my life. The third question that I want us to ask ourselves and to prayerfully answer is this. What's the most helpful way you could strengthen your church? What's the most helpful way you could strengthen your church in 2024? What church are you talking about here? Well, I'm talking about Summit. But let me summarize what the Bible says about the church. The universal church or the body of Jesus Christ is comprised of every genuine believer from all over the world. Amen. But not everyone who calls themselves Christian is a part of the universal church or the body of Jesus Christ. Not everyone is. 
Also, all the local churches, including Summit Church, each one of them are an expression of the body of Jesus Christ. So Summit is an expression of the body of Jesus Christ. Just wanted to clarify that. Now, one of the mistakes that we make today is that we put such an emphasis on our personal relationship with Christ, and we should. We should do that. But we do it at the cost of minimizing and sometimes neglecting the importance of, of our service to Jesus through the body, through the local church. First Peter 4.10 says this, and I, and I love it. It says, each of you, each of you, notice that it says each of you, not just some of you, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. All of us, not just some. Let me ask this. What do you think the context of serving in, in, in here, uh, here is in, in this verse? Well, it's serving in the context of the local church, the local expression of the body of Jesus. And so what I want to ask is this. How can Summit Church be stronger in 2024 because of you? Because of me? Church, do you know why Christians don't get involved in serving in the church? Or at least very few do? Because serving can be draining. It's hard. It'll cost you. It's time-consuming. It'll ask a lot of you. It's not easy. It's difficult to deny ourselves and to consider the needs of others, to place others' needs above your needs, like the Bible says in Philippians 2.4. I think the stat is somewhere around 5% 5, 5 of people in the local church that usually get seriously involved. Five. The rest are just making excuses or just being selfish. Now, just as we read, everyone is called to serve in some way, in some capacity. You may not be called to preach from the pulpit, to teach from the pulpit, but maybe you're called to drive the church van and bring people to church. There's a need there. Or smile and greet people as they come in for our Sunday services. If you are a member in the body of Christ, and you are if you're a genuine believer, it's not a choice. If that's the case, then you are called to serve. That's what members of the body do. Even in our physical bodies, every member of the body serves a purpose. It blesses the other members in some way. And sure, you may not be an eye or a heart. That's fine. But maybe you're in an appendix. Apparently, there was a time, maybe still at that time, when people took their appendix out and they thought they're helping their body. But wait, <laughs> they're thinking now that maybe the appendix does help the body in some way. Anyways, irrelevant. But maybe some of us are just like the appendix, you know? I don't know, maybe I'm just, you know, the exception to the rule. No, we're not. The point is that you are definitely called to serve the rest of the body and to be useful and to bless others and to help others. Right? Amen? So it looks like we, we need all the help we can get to serve cheerfully and consistently and maybe just to serve, period. Now, thankfully, God intends, God's heart is to make us, his people, into Christ-like servants. That's his desire, which means the Bible is full of the help we need. Let me just read to you from Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Do you see what the problem is? The problem with Christians that do not serve? The reason that we're not serving is because when we serve, we do not do it as we would for the Lord Jesus. We do it for eye service. We, we do it to please others. We, we, we do it because we have to. We do it because it needs to be done. We do it so others don't criticize us and so on and so forth. We missed the point here. Here's the best way I can summarize Apostle Paul's teaching on serving here in this passage. Christians are to focus on serving others more, keeping in mind that we ultimately do it for the Lord, and focusing less on needing others. That's what he's actually saying. That brings us to a paradoxical truth that can liberate us from superficial service and can propel us for sacrificial service. The less we need others, whether it's securing their praise or avoiding their criticism, the more and better we will serve them. Think about it. People let us down all the time. They often fail to appreciate you and thank you, and that's, that happens a lot of times in every church to some extent. They often criticize us for spending a lot of time and, you know, and blessing others. Like, dude, you're not doing it. I'm doing it, and you're criticizing me. <laughs> Why should I even serve them? And that's our reaction. Why should I even do it? They don't deserve it. They don't acknowledge me. I do so much for the church. The answer is rather than expecting something from people, we look to the Lord Jesus. That's what Apostle Paul is saying. Who always keeps his promises and who already accepts us as his own and who deserves to be worshipped, praised, and served. Think of it as your response to the beautiful gospel that saved you. When we serve, think about the gospel, and that's, why, and that's why you do it. Our whole life should be a response and a reaction to what Jesus has done for us that would revolutionize our serving for the Lord, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Let me give you an illustration of this. Imagine if the pilot of a 200-passenger flight, as the plane approaches the landing... Imagine if he becomes deeply and obsessively concerned about how each of the 200 passengers is evaluating his piloting. Dave is not here. I would have asked him if this is true or not, but I think it is. Imagine if he begins to worry about, oh, too bumpy of a landing and the displeasure this would cause in the first class, right? Thankfully, that doesn't happen. Instead of attempting to please 200 passengers, the pilot focuses on satisfying just one person. And apparently, that's the air traffic controller. Just one person. That's it. Not 200, just one. Because the controller is his, is his singular focus. He's able to serve all 200 passengers much better by getting the plane with all those passengers safely on the ground. Again, the point for us is this. When our focus in serving is Jesus, is Christ and we understand that we ultimately do it for him and for his glory, what happens is we serve people better, much better. May God help us with that. It's not easy. So let me ask the question again. What's the most helpful way you could strengthen your church in 2024? The church needs all the help it can get. We need help with our transportation team. I said it already. We need help with the welcome team, help with the media team, help with the security team. The list goes on and on. 
The fourth question that I want us to ask ourselves and to prayerfully answer is this. What's one thing you could do to improve your prayer life in 2024? What's one thing that you could do to improve your prayer life in 2024? If we're really honest with one another, I think that most of us struggle with prayer. And I've noticed over and over again in my life, you know, over the years that the spiritual deserts in my life have always been accompanied by casual, a casual prayer life. Always. Now, eventually, I came to realize that this was not only a, a symptom of a sick heart or, or, or a, a malnourished heart, but a cause, a cause of living in a sloppy way, living in a casual way when it comes to prayer. So many times I was neglecting the very thing that would give me life, that would satisfy my thirsty and, and weary soul. And what I was doing is I was ignoring the only way that would not only lead me out of the desert, but keep me out of the spiritual desert. Church, if we want to get anywhere in our relationship with God, we have to view prayer as a discipline that needs to be learned and practiced and developed as well. Not just something that comes easy sometimes. And that's the only time we approach it. Now here at Summit, we preach and speak frequently of the importance of prayer. We do. It's a good thing. But I realized, and I mean no offense by this, I realized that a lot of us don't know how to pray. And we need to be disciplined on how to do it. By the way, to that end, we are starting the new year with a 10-week series on prayer. We're very excited about that and what the Lord will do through that. But the reality is that even Jesus' own disciples had to ask Jesus how to pray. They've, they struggle too. We see this in Luke 1.1. So, so don't feel bad if that's you. I'm thinking that it must have been pretty amazing to do life with Jesus for like three and a half years right? And they most likely saw something in the way Jesus prayed. I'm sure they did, because he prayed fervently and intimately with his Father, and so much so that they said, Lord, we want the same thing. Lord, I, I want that. I want to pray more like you. So they asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, we have to realize that not everybody is at the same spiritual level. Not everyone is at the same level of intimacy with the Lord. Nevertheless, I want to share with you a few different ways that have helped me grow in my prayer life. Just a few things. And again, let's keep in mind the question we're asking ourselves. What's one thing that you could do to improve your prayer life in 2024? So one of the things that I learned about building my prayer life is that you need to set prayer apart. Set prayer apart. Did you know that the more we pray, the more we want to pray? Have you noticed that in your prayer life? But in order to do this, you need to build it into the rhythm of your day any way you can, at any cost. Set alarms, leave notes. Put it in your day planner. Whatever it takes, you got to set it apart. Prayer is a practice that requires discipline. It requires perseverance. And we should just own the cost because it's so worth it. Prayer is the greatest act of our day. It's the most we can do. So we have to fight for it. And we have to fight for, for, for it not just in seasons of hardship and suffering, 
because everyone kind of prays then, right? It matters how we train and prepare for the battle, for the seasons of suffering. So praying in the good times is essential and not only when trouble comes. I always love this saying, and, and I'm paraphrasing it. May trouble find us praying, and may we not pray only because of trouble. That, that, that's, that speaks so much. That, that, that in itself is a sermon right there. There's something powerful when we build this prayer discipline, especially in the good times. And we set, and we, and we set prayer apart as a rhythm in our life that will truly help us when we go through tough times. Another thing that I learned about prayer is that you need to learn to get alone. This is huge. you got to learn to get alone. And we, we, we talked about this, right, when it comes to time wasters and distractions. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this. But again, we need to pull away from distractions. The phone, the computer, the TV, the, the constant noise of modern life. There's always some noise going on in the background. you got to turn that off. you got to get away. To be honest, this can be quite a challenge when you have little ones that are full of energy and loud and they're screaming all the time. This is extremely hard, I know. But we have to make it a priority. We have to make it a a closet in between meals or feedings or nap times. You got to do what you got to do. And God's going to help us. Again, we're not alone. Or if you find yourself always working and you're at the office or your car on lunch break works just fine. <laughs> you know, a quiet corner in the office or simply just, just quieting your heart if that's all you can do. But find solitude, find silence and pray. That's the point. Another thing that helped me immensely is this, having a posture of prayer. This, this is huge for me. Having a posture of prayer. Do what you need to do to help you focus on what it is that you're doing, on praying. Kneel, stand, close your eyes, look to the heavens, have some soft worship music playing in the background. Walk around. I like to do that sometimes, just walking around, just, just I can focus better. The idea here is that when your body is focused, it's often easier for your soul to follow. Also, if you can, pray out loud. Don't scream but pray out loud. I found that just softly whispering during my private prayer time, it really prevents me from having a nice flow to that prayer, right? My mind just starts wondering. It's like, Lord, you're so good. And then, whoa, look at that. <laughs> I can never focus, right? I, I got to be out loud. It's got to be out loud. Again, you don't have to scream, but it's got to be out loud. And I'm not the only one saying this, by the way. C.S. Lewis said this, and he said, you put it like this, the body ought to pray as well as the soul. Body and soul are both better for it. Another thing that helped me in building my prayer life is this, praying fervently. I caught myself doing this many times, and I, I see the, this, this, the same sort of a casual, laissez-faire attitude um, from our Christianity here in the West. It's the opposite of fervent. It's the, it's, there's no life or passion a lot of times, no, no heart behind it. I caught myself doing this, especially before bedtime or before a meal. It's like, Dude, what was that? I didn't even know what I did. But I, I caught myself doing that. Like, what is that? Our praying should be active and dynamic and full of heart. Take a minute before you start praying and think about who you're about to address, who you're about to communicate to. 
It's the God of the universe, the one who spoke the universe into existence, who calls stars by name as he creates them. That's who we're, we're talking to. So we cannot truly come into contact with God and not be a, a different person, at least in some small degree, by the time we say amen. So this is what I'm saying, and this is the missing ingredient in our prayer life, I, I believe, as the church in general. We need to struggle in prayer. We need to wrestle in prayer, and we need to let the Spirit move. And let me just say this as well. Answers to prayer are a blessing, amen? Isn't it amazing? I love when Pamela came up and gave that testimony of Sarah, their, their daughter, and being healed. That's amazing. Let's do that all the time. But prayer in and of itself is meant to be the blessing. Communing with God is the point of prayer and the blessing of prayer. That's, that's the summa cum laude. That is it. So struggle in prayer, wrestle in prayer, and fight in prayer, and allow the Spirit to move in your heart so that you enjoy God in prayer more, so that you love God more, so that you, so that you cherish God more. Don't rush it. Stay there a while. And here's the last question that I want all of us to prayerfully ask ourselves, and it's a short one. For whose salvation Will you pray most fervently this year? It's kind of what Zoanna was, was saying earlier. For whose salvation will you pray most fervently in 2024? You got to have a plan. You got to have at least a few people that you're going to be praying for. Praying fervently and, and, and frequently for someone's salvation makes us more sensitive to opportunities to share the gospel with them, doesn't it? And to share the gospel in general, this is what I would challenge all of us with. Pray intentionally and consistently for someone's salvation every month of this year. Choose a new person if you want to. And guess what? Let's start today. Zoanna already said it. On your way out, please pick an ornament from our Christmas tree right at the back with a name on it. All of them have a name. And pray for that person's salvation. Be intentional and be consistent. Let me ask you this as I'm closing. Do you feel overwhelmed with all these questions and challenges? <laughs> I do. <laughs> so many things that you have to keep in mind now for this new year. And I'm sure you have a whole load of, a heap of, you know, that you brought uh, to the table this morning. Did you know that God made no provision for you to live the Christian life on your own? If we miss this part, we miss the whole sermon, by the way. Hope that no one walks to the bathroom right now. We're not supposed to go now and, and be a better Christian on your own. We're not supposed to go now and stress out and say, man, I got more things to do now because of this New Year's Eve sermon. Thanks a lot. <laughs> That's not what we're saying here. And of course, there's volition. We just talked about making good choices. Of course, there's participation on our part. We just talked about it. But the power... The power, the power in the Christian life is not us, it's not you, it's not me. The power for the Christian life is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? We miss that. We miss the whole Christian life. We're, at that point, we're just being religious. We're just doing stuff and not doing stuff. That's what we're doing. It's Jesus Christ risen from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit living his life through us. 
It's not you being more loving and giving more of your time to serve at church and to muster up, oh, no, I got to give two more hours and I got to. It's not you struggling and wrestling fervently in prayer. It's not you white-knuckling it. It's actually you cooperating with Jesus Christ's desire to love people through you, to serve Summit through you. That's what it's all about. It's more about resignation. It's more about surrender, first and foremost, than it is about volition or a conscious act of choosing on our part. The first thing, the primary thing, the main thing, the best thing is Christ in us through the Holy Spirit. Please don't forget that. Let me show it to you really quickly in Romans 7. You can actually hear Apostle Paul in his desperation If you read verses 19 to 24, I'm not going to read that, but let me just summarize it. We can easily summarize it like this. I'm broken. I'm broken. I don't work right. By the way, that's all of us. Even in my saved condition, he's saying, that fallenness is still there. Wow. And then he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Have you ever felt like that? Oh, yes, many times. What's it going to take for me, God? What's going to take the corner for me, God? Every year I made New Year's resolutions and I see some change, but only for a few weeks. And then I'm back to normal again. Jesus, you couldn't have risen from the dead for me to just languish here in defeat, discouragement, fear, and despair. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's what Apostle Paul was asking. But then I love what Apostle Paul says in verse 25, and this is the answer. He says, thanks be to God. And this is, like an, uh, this is like an exclamation of discovery. The real provision, he says, is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Five words. Five words. That's the Christian life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is it. We could sit here the whole day and go through passages in the Bible and that, that shows this truth. How, how do we miss it so many times? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He will do it, church. He is faithful. He has been faithful. His track record is flawless in fulfilling His promises to us. That's His work in our life. He will do it. I'm reminded of this verse that we always remind each other with Jody. I think it's Philippians 1.6. The good work that he started in our hearts, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How about that? That's a beautiful promise. All we need to do, church, is make sure we don't get in the way. What does that look like? Well, it's a moment by moment, day by day, total resignation of the mind, emotions, and will to Jesus Christ in me. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's the spirit-filled life. That's a spirit-led life where Jesus takes shape in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's the one that does it through us. This is a beautiful, beautiful promise. Church, this is the only way that we do life. (laughs) This is the only way we pursue what we talked about today. Otherwise, you're just buried in more responsibilities. Like, I can't do this. You're right, you can't. And by the way, the value of these questions that we asked today, the five questions, is not on their wisdom and depth and no, but in the simple fact that they bring an issue or commitment into focus. They just remind us of things. For example, just by making a goal to pray for someone's salvation in particular, you know, this year, is more likely to help you remember to pray for that person than if you hadn't set that goal. It's simple. That was the whole point. My prayer is that this will help all of us 
consider our ways. Haggai 1.5, consider our ways. And then surrender to the Holy Spirit daily, really well, so that He can do it through us. Are you in for that? Sign me up. Let's stand, please. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gospel. The gospel that still has the power to save. We thank you that you brought us from death to life. You set us in Christ. You gave us a new identity, a new meaning, a new purpose, a new eternity, a new family, even new desires and taste buds. Thank you so much for the gospel being present in our life and saving us. But so many times in our Christian life, Father, we all we struggle. And maybe for a lot of us, we struggled in 2023. Maybe we struggled in our prayer life or we, we, we were overwhelmed by the distractions and the time wasters and we even struggled maybe, Lord God, in enjoying you and cherishing you and loving you. But I ask, Lord God, this morning that you would grab a hold of our hearts and set our eyes on, on Jesus and Jesus alone. He is our hope. I love the promise that you reminded us of, that Apostle Paul, Lord God, uh, speaks of in Romans 7, that, that it is through Jesus it is only through him that we can live this Christian life. We don't want to do it any other way because we know we will fail badly and miserably. So would you just get our eyes off of our struggles and our problems and set them on Christ? I ask this for every single person in here and all of us that are not here, Father. I ask, Lord God, that you would help us to not get in the way, not get in the way of the Holy Spirit growing us and, and maturing us and building our faith. Lord, Lord God, help us to, to, to resign and surrender on a daily basis to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life so that you, Jesus, may take a fuller stance, a fuller, a fuller you know, uh, seat, Lord God, on the, on the throne of our hearts, Father, so that everyone around us would benefit from that, Father. I pray for that in Jesus' name. And if anyone here, Lord God, does not know you personally, I ask that you would save them. I ask, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself in a powerful way. We thank you again for this morning. Thank you for your word. I thank you for Summit Church, Father. I thank you for this body of believers, that you are growing you're edifying. Thank you so much, Father. We thank you for 2023. What a beautiful year. Even if you allowed suffering in our life, we know that in the end, you're going to work it for our good. And we trust in you. We trust in you because you are a loving and a good Father. We pray for all of these things only in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.